0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome to New Books and Fantasy. I'm your host, A.E. Lanier. Today, I will be speaking with Aperna Verma about her new novel, The Phoenix King. The novel takes place in the desert kingdom of Revanse, as war brews on its borders and as the king is about to step down. The story follows an assassin, exiled but struggling to return home, as well as both the king and the heir to the throne. This is Aparna's debut novel, and she is here with us now. Hi, Aparna. It's great to have you. Hello. Thank you for having me on the show. Could you start with telling us a little bit about The Phoenix King and just how that story came about for you?
1: Yeah. um, So The Phoenix King, um, I've been kind of playing with the idea of the book for over 13 years. (laughs) Um, And it evolved over time, of course. But I didn't really get serious quote-unquote about the book until March 2020 when you know we were all locked in and there's nothing really else to do so I thought you know what I'm just gonna write the damn book at this point because um, it was just nibbling away in my mind <clears throat> so I started it off um, as more of an exploration of like all the darkness that we were seeing in the world specifically um how political leaders were manipulating emotions, politics, religion to, you know, put their own political agendas forward, you know, for their own political gain. Um, and that's something that the Phoenix King really grapples with, specifically religion and how religion can be used as a tool and a weapon sometimes, despite it being a, also a resource I give solace to people who, who believe. And so the, all the characters have a complicated relationship with their faith. Some believe in it. Some believe in it because of tradition, because of homeland, because they were taught to believe in it. Some people used to believe and then learn better or learn worse, depending on your point of view. Um, so it, 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 you, you see their journeys of grappling with their, with their faith, and how some of them try to break away to to chronicle, get some get freedom to say like I will not let fate or destiny or the gods control my journey on you know in this world. While others kind of buy into or believe that you know what these gods are doing is something that is holy that is that the world needs, and I draw power from that. I draw stability from that. I draw peace from that. And so it's it, for me, I just I just find faith and religion to be very interesting and in how different people, individuals, um, interact with it and relationships with it. So you see that in the Phoenix King for sure.
0: So yeah, absolutely religion is sort of at the heart of this and those different and changing relationships to faith are super central for really all of our main characters. Yes. yes. Government is also a really important part. Monarchy specifically, we have two people that are members of the royal family. The third was essentially like a child soldier that was raised to overturn monarchy. And there's a lot of conversation about monarchy specifically as a government system. Can you talk a little bit about that and its role in the book?
1: Yeah. So the kingdom of Robbins uh, basically operates with a religious throne uh, in, in that it's believed that the royal family comes from this, you know, long lineage from the founder of the kingdom. And that Founder was blessed by the power of the phoenix, their god, to uphold this throne. And the the, the history of the world is that there the phoenix has a prophet, and in the last in the last coming of the prophet, the prophet burned down the sinners and made Ravens, which was once a beautiful, bountiful forest, into a desert. And this happened, you know, over centuries; it didn't happen overnight. Um, and their founder, um, the original Romans, the original Ravana, he came in and made a home in the desert, and so his followers finally found peace, because their his god was able to protect them from all the warring kingdoms. So it was almost like a, like a, like a, a haven for them, where they could you know practice their faith of the phoenix without being like you know persecuted, because at that time. If you believe in the phoenix, you believe in their vengeful, destructive prophet who had basically killed everyone um, beforehand. Uh, so the in Leo and Alina come from this idea of like you know we were blessed by the god that's why we are ruling, um, and we come into the book at a time where Alina must now rise to power. She's about to be twenty-five sons. It's uh, tradition. And we see Leo, her father, not coming to terms that he has to give up his power, that he has to give up the throne. And it's his child. So, of course, he feels, you know, it happened to him, his father had been down the throne to him. But you feel a little bit of resistance on his part. And he cloaks it behind. I need to protect this kingdom because a prof- a new prophecy came that a new prophet's coming. So he hides behind layers of so-called politics and religion so his daughter, to distance himself from his daughter and not necessarily give her the keys and the reins to the throne. He's he's trying his hardest, like, no, I need to be here. I need to guide you. uh, Because without me, you won't be able to run this kingdom.
0: That succession strategy where the monarch changes not because the old king dies, but because the heir reaches a certain age is really unusual and was really interesting and complicated that father-daughter relationship a lot as well in really engaging ways. Can you speak about that decision to make the throne work that way?
1: Yeah. So I think it's overdone sometimes in fantasy of like, oh, the old king is dead, or he got murdered and assassinated. So here you go. Here's like the next a, you know, a person on the butcher's block, to king of the throne. So I wanted to change it a little a little bit of like, you know, living in the States and, you know, we live in a, in a democracy where like even the, the president, you know, at most can only serve eight years, um, two terms, eight years, and then you're done, you're out. And I wondered, like, what if we apply that to a monarchy? But of course, we're going to need a little bit more time. You can't just do eight years of UK. Like that would be a little too much. So I thought, you know, until the heir turns 25 years of age. So it's not necessarily you rule for 25 years. It's whenever you have that kid, the time starts ticking. The timer starts ticking. So it's 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 complicated in like how the rulers kind of time when they have their kids. Like Leo has his kid like later on, has Alita later on. He only has one child, which is purposeful. So he didn't have bickering children to fight over the throne. Um, But I think in a way it makes it more complicated and and interesting As for me as a writer because you have a tradition where like, okay, this person that I'm going to take this throne and this heir who has been bred basically to know politics, to know the religion of the world, to basically be born and raised to do this one job and you are resisting that you are resisting the culture and the traditions that you say you uphold of your kingdom, that you are the shining beacon of. But personally, you you you're resisting. You are you know, you don't want her to take a through our fight yet because you don't want to be deemed um and, you know not useful. And so for me, that I, I, I wanted to make that twenty five term of the air because I wanted that conflict of Alina and Leo to really, you know, raise the stakes of like Will he actually give the throne to her? Will she actually take the throne and, you know, resume, assume power? Or, you know, will Leo continue to resist and not teach her, you know, the the promise of the throne, which is how to wield fire?
0: So Alina is very concerned about taking power about fire, which we'll get to in a bit. Um, but she also is, during this, becoming engaged as well and is thinking about royal marriage and um Basically, like, continuing this line, which is something that's necessary if you're going to have a hereditary sort of leadership. But I feel like a lot of times in U.S. stories, we treat that responsibility with, like, a lot of contempt or we dismiss it. So it was interesting to see a young monarch that is, like, also thinking about – or a young, like, up-and-coming monarch who's also thinking about the next line and, like, getting married and all that stuff. Can you talk a little bit about royal engagement?
1: Yeah. So I uh, – you know the phoenix king is indian inspired and i think when the west thinks about indian stories with or in things about indian in general there's always like the topic of arranged marriages just come up they just often do i remember growing up as a kid when we you know in world history class in sixth grade when we learned about india my friends would ask me are you going to get arranged marriage like once they learned that arranged marriage was a concept like i would always get asked that uh, throughout school like once I found out my parents had arranged marriage they're like this is so beyond my own under my western understanding of like love and marriage like does this actually work like do you guys hate each other like you know uh, and so I-, I think arranged marriages is you know have their you know their pros and cons And it's a very individual you know on the relationship and the couple but I wanted to thwart that western thinking mm-hmm. of like the arranged marriage oh poor girl like she is locked into this marriage with like an older guy who is going to misuse her and mistreat her and this is the end of her life you know because she was forced into a political marriage um in which she had no say or decision and like the classical poor indian arranged marriage bride did not want to do that in the phoenix king and i wanted Aaliyah to have the agency of like picking her suitor so i mean leo brings forth like this is you know Samson like you know he is like um, almost like a military you know a military king in a way um, and, but at the end of the day Alito's is the one who takes that decision because there's multiple suitors who have come and went but she makes a, a very calculated decision to say yes to Samson because of his relationship with their uh, with the antagonist uh, King Farin of Jantar uh, at his, his army So she was very political and strategic in saying yes to Samson. And I wanted her to, like, have fun. I wanted her to flirt. I wanted her to, like, understand, like, that she, this is all for her kingdom. At the end of the day, that's what Alita operates on. It's that because she has been born and bred to serve her kingdom, her kingdom is a part of her identity. Without Robbins, she is not Alita Adia Robbins. It's literally her name, you know? Um, And so... When she takes on Samson as her suitor, she what immediately puts you know makes it known that she is the ruler. She is the one in power over him. Uh, but she's gonna enjoy it. Like you know, she is not like some sad, you know, princess who's like, you know, married off to this like handsome suitor. It's like, no, I'm gonna have fun with you. I'm gonna tease you. I'm gonna flirt with you. I'm gonna let you know that I'm the one in power. So just wanted to change it up a little bit.
0: And it is very clear that she is still definitely going to be the one in charge. We have, like, I guess the phrase that might sometimes be used is more modern gender roles, although what that even means, but this is very much a science fantasy, right? There is magic, and there are also, like, hover cars. There's, like, melee combat and also lots of future techie things. Can you talk a little bit about that decision to make this sort of more of a science fantasy than a traditional fantasy?
1: Yeah, well, I... Honestly, I think the present moment, like even though like our present moment is a blend of the past and the future, like we are talking on StreamYard right now <laughs> in two different places. North Carolina, I'm in Texas, and we have iPhones, we have laptops, we have electric cars, and yet we still stick to the same religions that date back centuries. I'm a practicing Hindu. That has been practice, um, For centuries. It's a really, it's an age old tradition and religion. And it made me start thinking of like, you know, if humans were to progress forward, we would still keep our own faith. We will keep our religions that, you know, date back for centuries or, and or we're going to create new ones, but we will always have faith and uh, a religion to go to. So that made me ask the question of like, what if we were in a super you know, futuristic desert kingdom ruled by religious throne. What happens then? Like, you know, and and so I wanted to see that blend of like, you know, um, of Indian sci-fi. Also, we don't get a lot of Indian sci-fi. When we see sci-fi, it's like mostly like white characters. So I was like, you know what? I want to do Indian sci-fi. Also, Star Trek used a lot of Indian clothing, like the Gordas. I was like, hello, that's from us. And so it's really funny. Uh, This is kind of an aside, but one of the... Uh, art prints that's part of the book um, that's part of the epilogue someone saw it and they said is this from star wars i was like no he's wearing a shirwani like that literally from india but star wars co-opted some of this stuff so like it looks like it's star wars um so that's an aside so i i, I really wanted to blend you know the future and the uh, and the past because we see in our present day moment but i just wanted to turn it up a notch uh, by making it like, you know, there's like hover trains and and holopods. But there's also sling swords and game suits. And I just love like the concept of the game field. Uh, and that's something that I'm playing with a lot more in like book two and you know, later on in the series.
0: So we definitely have like lots of very fun tech. Um there's also magic. And a lot of the magic, just like a lot of sort of the culture, is centered in fire, which is both like, magically significant, culturally significant. These things obviously feed each other. Could you talk a little bit about why you decided to make fire so central and sort of the role that it plays in this story?
1: Yeah, so I, fire has duality, and that's what has always piqued my interest. Uh, fire is both necessary for destruction, but also for rebirth. Um, think of a forex, right? Like, we learned this in, like, sixth grade ecology. Like, you know, <laughs> we learned from the very beginning that a forest fire burns the underbrush of you know of a forest that allows new life to grow forth. Uh, that's why some firefighters in like you know controlled environments create forest fires on purpose to help um, aid the forest and grow. In Hinduism, one of our you know Vedic gods is Agni, uh, and Agni is a word that comes from Sanskrit and it means you know a. a it means a fire god and Agni is said to have two faces one of destruction like one of like that scary and like you know gruesome and like you know makes you want to hide underneath your bed and the other one is welcoming it's warm it's like all all the happy things that fire makes you think of like marshmallows being around the campfire telling stories And so, when I was thinking about the religion and like using fire as a motif for the kingdom of Ravens, I really associated with a phoenix. Um, Hinduism doesn't really have a phoenix per se, though. Uh, if you look at like the linguistic and um, more of like the historical roots, Garuda, who is our you know our um, man eagle uh, god, he's like the king of the birds, has similar associations with the phoenix um it's said that in the mahabharata that he you know was born in an egg with like a very very bright light um uh, like shining intense light and when that light comes it means it's the start of the end of the cosmic it's the start of the end which means cosmic destruction is about to happen for this era to end on earth and then new one to come and i was like that's a phoenix rebirth you know rebirth destruction the cycle over and over again and so when um, Alina tries to learn about fire and holding fire, she has to come to terms of like what fire really means. Um, there's this misconception that the characters hold in the books of that the phoenix is a vengeful god. You know, that fire is destructive. He, you see that a lot of in Yasin's, um, in his chapters, because he was raised uh, to believe that the phoenix is terrible. It's a sham religion, you know, um, being like a part of the aura of the scene. Um, but through Alina's perspective and through her connection with her mother, who was a devotee of, of the Phoenix, um, and Alina to hold on to her mother's relationship, she continues worship, worshiping the Phoenix because it reminds her of her mother. And I think like, and that's personal to me because I feel like I became more devout or more of like interested in Hinduism after I left for college <laughs> actually after I left my family because it was my connection to home. And, and and that's similar for Alina. It's her connection to her mother. Um and in that she learns that fire isn't all isn't just destructive. It's 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 a memory. It's it's that warmth. It's that love. Um and so, you know, of all the other elements, I think fire is like is the one that perfectly captures that duality be both destructive but also nurturing
0: you mentioned as well alina's mother um who died when she's quite young so that means that both she has lost her mother and leo has lost his partner um so despite the fact that she dies long before the book starts she's very much a presence in the story she's also quite an important scholar could you talk a little bit about that character and the role that she plays in the story
1: yeah i love Ara um i i think of all of all the characters and this is like i just love tragedies but of all the characters i feel like i'm mostly associated with her i was like yeah i would love to die with my books why not like you know um but i i love anna um as a character and you know one because she is a beacon of warmth um uh, and stability for alina um who lost her mother like you said at a very young age but also i think she shows Leo's tragedy. You know, before Leo died, uh, he very much when uh, Anna was alive, he very much took um, advice from her. Like he took solace from her. Like she was his partner in crime. You know, quote unquote. And he respected her, and she softened his edges in a way, um, and was able to keep him balanced. And it's when she died and he without giving a spoiler away realizes why she died that's when he starts to veer away from the religion of the phoenix that's when we start to see the down path and i think that's a tragedy because again when we talk about faith sometimes it's not it's not centered on the religion of the god it's centered on a person and for leo his faith was in anna and so when anna dies it's correlated that his faith in the phoenix also slowly dies because she was his stability point. When she's gone, he's like, the reason she died was because of the phoenix. So I am no longer, you know, a, a, a believer. I will take the motions of pretending to believe because I'm the king. Like, I am forced in a way to pretend I'm a believer, to pretend that I, you know, uphold the throne because of this you know this fantastical fire, but really he realizes, like, no, it's all a sham, it's all a show. Uh, but I will continue the show because that is my role as king, and I and and it hurts that belief is gone. Uh, I think for him because if it what if it had been, maybe he would have been a gentler king. You know, absolutely. There's also at the beginning
0: of basically every chapter, um, one of those really fun spec fic things, which is you've got an epigraph um, of documents from the world. Can you talk a little bit about your inclusion of fake primary sources?
1: Oh, I love it. So, you know what's really funny? A reader actually DM'd me saying, like, I Googled these texts thinking that they were real things, and I realized, oh, my God, you made them all up. I was like, yes. I have a whole library of textbooks from this world. Uh, I love epigraphs in a way of, like, I think they're a good tool for world building like it gives you like just instantaneously like oh this is what the gentari times thinks about the kingdom of robins you know um, and i was you know uh, a journalist for a brief period of time i worked at my college newspaper my first job out of college was at a financial news team And I realized really quickly journalism wasn't for me. (laughs) I am leaping. Um, But it it really, I think being a journalist has really formed my way and perspective as a fiction writer. One in that uh, primary sources, I love including primary sources in fiction worlds because you're like, oh, it's fiction. Everything is fake, you know, like it's all made up. So let me make it, but when you add a primary source, it adds almost like a degree of credibility in a way of like, Showing like the the I think the vastness of the world, um, like one of the texts of the Great History of Seon, and you learn about um, the different um, nations, the Beyond Robins and Juntar Like when you look at the the map in the book, you're like, oh my gosh, there's like two continents, and like there's all these other kingdoms that we've heard about that, but we're you know we'll see later on in the trilogy, but uh, you see a little bit in the in the uh, in the epigraphs. Uh, I also think they're a really good foreshadowing <laughs> like I I believe in like leaving easter eggs for the close reader because I just feel like it's fun I was an English major and I love when I, when I close read I feel like I was like in a, having a secret, into the conversation with a writer so like even the first epigraph uh, uh, on Yaks in chapter one where the king said to his people we are the chosen and the people responded chosen by whom you know and it's this idea of like who who chooses us like who has that power? Is it a god? Is it a person? Is it you? Uh, and it, it really goes into it, you know, goes into the letter that um, we later see in the book that I'm not going to talk about uh, without giving a spoiler. But um, I, I think like a lot of the trilogy also centers about chosen by whom. Um, but but that's at the very first of the of a novel, and I wanted to leave that there for like the close reader of like. Just, like, you know, wink, wink, look back at this when you read book two and book three, because it's going to apply of, like, chosen by whom. Um, Yeah, I think it's just fun to, like, do world building, but also, like, give little nuggets to, like, the close reader of, like, aha, you're paying attention here, you know? Absolutely.
0: Romance is um, a desert nation, as we've mentioned before, and deserts are just, like, really an important part of this story. They're important to a lot of our characters and their self-conception. Can you talk a little bit about the decision to set
1: this in a desert? Yeah, so I was born in Rajasthan, India. And Rajasthan is the desert state <laughs> in, in India and I feel like throughout my life I've always had a deep spiritual connection to the desert. It kind of like it has that duality of also like of like fire you know, like when you look at the think of the desert, you think of just a dry, arid landscape. You don't think life is really teeming in the desert. Um, but when you look closer, you realize actually the desert is full of life. There's, you know, and, and depending on what kind of deserts you go to, um, there's so many different species and animals and, and people who carve a living in there. And so for me, it was in a way pay homage to Rajasthan. Uh, which I love Rajasthan literally means land of the kings Um, and I wanted to bring in that duality of of the desert because I think it one it's just poetic it's spiritual it's very personal to me Uh, but like you said each character has their own personal conception of the desert um, and how it I feel like the desert almost is its own character, like, you know, to be like, you know, a cliche, like the landscape and its own character. Um, But I think it really speaks for itself. Um, And it's very much ingrained of like how Alina operates for sure.
0: This is your debut. We already talked about a lot of the really fun things that are in this story. Is there anything that we haven't covered yet so far that you like definitely were excited to put in this book or to include?
1: Oh, the little Bollywood Easter eggs! <laughs> I am a romantic at heart. I, I feel like I am definitely a romantic at heart. Um, and as I've grown older, I've I've come to accept that. <laughs> but um, I love Shonan Kong movies. Like I grew up on his movies, and there's this iconic scene. Um, it actually it's been done in different of his movies, but there's one in a um, Kabi Kushi Kabi Kub, which is like one of my favorite movies where there's like a dance sequence and he is dancing with the love interest Gajal who uh, actually some people on the internet said I look like her and I will take that as a compliment because she is gorgeous and she is running past him at the end of her dupatta which is basically like this long beautiful embroidered scarf gets stuck on the end of his kurta. And you get this, like, moment where he raises his um, his his sleeve and they're kind of, like, they have this heated moment of, like, gazing into each other. Uh, this also happens in Om Shanti the Aum with Shah Rukh Khan again and Deepakabandakon. And so I was like, I've always lived for these moments. Let me add it into my book because I can. And so there's this moment uh, in a dance sequence, of course, where um, Alina and Yasin are dancing. They're practicing... Um, She's practicing her coronation dance for the coronation ball because we got to have a ball. Um, and as he lifts her up and lowers her down, she's trying to turn away and her debutta gets stuck on the end of his uniform. And you have this little charged moment of like his heart is hammering as she touches his wrists and their eyes connect. And I was like, chef's kiss. That is my homage to Bollywood and SRK. So if you are a Bollywood lover, you will... Hopefully love that moment. And it's illustrated, which will be revealed on release day. So very excited to show that. That is extraordinarily exciting.
0: Um, This book has so much in it. It's a lot of fun. We've really just scratched the surface. Um, And it comes out on August 29th, so Tuesday. So there's a very good chance that it is either out when you're listening to this or will be out in just a day or two very excited to let the world see this one um i have been speaking with of verma about her debut novel the phoenix king out as i said august 29th from orbit thank you so much for listening and please consider supporting us by subscribing leaving a review telling a friend all that good stuff i will speak to you soon and for now happy reading